This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Imagine yourself standing on top of a, a little round bridge in a Japanese garden overlooking a pond. And in that pond is, uh, when you look at the pond, it's, it's just like glass with a perfect reflection of the sky and the blue and cumulative clouds floating by as you look in the pond. And imagine that you have a pebble in your hand and you drop that pebble into the pond. And that pebble makes a perfect circle, which creates a wave that moves across the pond. That wave is the wave of your neshama, or the, what I like to call the beautiful child in you. That each one of us has this beautiful child. That is the child that you were, what they like to call your inner child, but it's the child that you were as a toddler. If you see yourself as a toddler, you realize it was the happiest you ever were. It was the most energy you ever had. It was the most self-expressed you ever were. It was the, um, you were willing to try over and over and over again without any connection to failing. So you would, uh, for example, even getting to stand, you, you failed thousands of times, but you just kept getting up because there was no self-reflection yet. Your mind was not developed enough to have a point of reference called the self. So that was when you had your soul and your body mated perfectly. Meaning when you were a toddler, your soul and body were perfectly mated for each other. And that's why it's the most alive that you've ever felt. And so your, also your vibrational energy, that wave, was so magnetic to everyone you met. And that's why today when you see a toddler, toddler you're just your eyes widen. You, you wished it would jump to you. You know, to hold it is we're all just magnetized by, by toddlers. They are, they are the most amazing livers of life. And they're amazingly adult in their connoisseurship, mm -hmm. meaning uh, teenagers aren't interested in the adult stuff. Adults like to feel alive, whereas teenagers don't really care that much. Adults like love and connection, whereas teenagers are like, it's all like, you know, walls. And they, they love um, adults like um, self-expression. We like to feel like we're self-expressed, like we're putting out our contribution and expressing it. And toddlers love expression. Teens are scared to death of it. And, uh, and toddlers also, uh, like adults, they love, um, they're very healthy and full of vitality. And so too every adult wishes they, you know, that we're all striving for health and vitality. Whereas teenagers, well, they don't care. They'll sabotage it. They'll eat anything, do anything. Like, you know, the, uh, the child is, uh, is the most satisfied customer on earth. The toddler is the most satisfied. No matter what's going on, it's always exactly that. Is, that's perfect. They're totally present. And so, too, as adults, we strive to be present rather than living in that complaining mind of our issues and what we've got to deal with and stuff, we also desire this kind of presence. So toddlers really had everything you seek. And you, so you have inside of you an anchor of the greatest time of your life. Now, of course, when all of that came crashing in, when you're about three or four years old, five years old, six years old, and on, what happened was uh, events caused you to see yourself as 
different than that perfect toddler. Uh, suddenly, suddenly beliefs about yourself caused all kinds of limiting voices inside your head about yourself. And for every limiting voice in your head, imagine another pebble in the hand. So you have that beautiful child pebble that created the perfect circle. But then after a while, you develop more and more voices about yourself until your hand's just filled with pebbles. All kinds of limiting beliefs, for example, um, not as good as an older sibling, maybe even a younger sibling, uh, not lovable for who I am. Toddlers are absolutely inherently lovable for who they are. But when you start getting self-aware, you start to realize, hmm, I've got to do something or speak a certain way or accomplish something for love. Love suddenly became conditional. Now, once love's conditional, you're automatically unlovable. I don't know if you get that. But once love's conditional, then you yourself are unlovable. It will, love will only come from an action. You have to have done something to be lovable. And so that's a major crash in our deepest need, which is the need for love. That's our deepest need. And that's another pebble, is unlovable. Unworthy, another pebble, because families generally set standards. And when a family sets a standard, you can never be worthy. Why? If you don't meet the standard, obviously you're not worthy. But even if you do, it wasn't you that's worthy, it's what you did. So when the family has that standard, and again, every family has a standard. Yeah, my family also has standards. Every family has a standard of what's called making it or what's called worthy. But that automatically puts unworthy in the, in the heart, in the, um, puts unworthy in the heart of the child. It's not easy raising kids. And it wasn't easy for our parents to raise us. And, and then there's all the other moments, the embarrassing moments, the, the rejections that I'm a reject, I'm unwanted. When I wasn't picked for the play, or I wasn't picked for the team, or my mother forgot to pick me up in school, and all the other girls were gone, and I was still standing out there and just looking around, like trying to pretend everything's okay, but in fact, I was forgotten about. And these things are happening all the time, and all you have to do is add more siblings, <laughs> and it just gets worse and worse. You know, just, just add siblings. A dash of siblings will double the issue. And, and hence, we grow up into uh, life with these beliefs. Now, when you throw a handful of pebbles into the pond, what happens? Each pebble is going to create a circle and a wave. But those waves are going to all interfere with each other. And it becomes complex. Suddenly, things get sophisticated. They get they get uh, complicated. <coughs> Some nice spots right here in the front. If you want, to, hey, it's my friend. How's it going? Welcome. I'm gonna get the boy. The We're gonna have a boy in this class. <laughs> Who's that, David? No. <laughs> Things get complex. Things get complicated. And just as vibrational energy works, we start to attract complex interaction. What could have been simple as it was as a toddler, suddenly everything becomes dramatic. We're looking out of our little eyes and we're wondering if we're going to be picked. But when you have a belief that is a vibrational wave crossing the pool of 
unwanted or unimportant or, or uh, inferior or not worthy. So then vibrationally, the statistical chance of not getting picked for the next play is super high. Which becomes a validation on the pebble to begin with. Meaning if we had any doubt that that pebble, that that belief about ourselves wasn't true, if we had any doubt of it, whether it was true or not, all it takes is a week or two of believing that about ourselves to have it validated and stamped over and over again that it is true. Now, we were just kids. We had nowhere to run. You see, if something like that happened to us today, we would go buy a new blouse. We'd at least call our best friend and cry it out. We'd go to the ice cream parlor. We'd do something. But we were just little kids, and there was nothing we could do. Literally nothing we could do. And so we only had one choice because it was getting validated over and over again. There was only one thing we could do. We had to make some kind of personality move to protect ourselves. we could have only spoken it out with our parents but for some reason our lips were sealed maybe we didn't want to disappoint them and so we had no choice other than to create a survival strategy by making a chess move to protect our queen we made a personality move for some of us it was a fight for others, it was a flight. For some people, socially, they become socially powerful. That was my way, with all my surfing and the parties. And the... It was amazing that all those big parties in our mansion in West LA, that I never was drunk the, all those years. And I probably drank more than everybody. I was just trying to survive. Survive an embarrassing moment when I was 10 years old at my brother's bar mitzvah. When a girl walked into the men's bathroom by accident and she just saw me there and realized she was in the wrong bathroom and left. The whole thing was maybe a fraction of a second. It took me 23 years to walk out of that bathroom. Within one year, I was the lead guitar player of a rock band, playing high school parties at 11 years old. Within one year, I was out of school and on the streets of LA. Within one year, I had taught myself to drive when my parents were out of town.
think back for a moment about when you were a child. Oh, sorry, those were examples of flight, of fight. I was gonna fight that feeling of loser in my heart. And it never goes away. Later, I found myself at Asia Torah. And now, today it would be cool to be a cool at Asia Torah, but in 1991, at Asia Torah, it wasn't cool to be cool. What was cool was being a masmid and learning. And I quickly took off my 100 payas. I had 100 payas. <laughs> and I quickly took off my 100 payas, and I put on my hat, and I learned three star a day for years. And then after about three years of learning, I looked around and I realized there's a whole Hasidic community out there. And they still think I'm a guy. And the next thing you know, <laughs> coinciding with my marrying my wife, who had no idea what she was getting her herself into. She thought she was actually going to see me on Friday nights. She didn't realize I would be with the Rebbe. Now I was raised by the quintessential capitalist businessman from the old country. It was all a numbers game. And he had this highly creative son. And I just didn't get it. I didn't get all those numbers. I didn't understand. And I felt very misunderstood. And so when it came to my own personal performance and scholastics and stuff like that, I chose flight. And I went out to surf because no one bothers you about numbers and structure and schedule and money when you're couple hundred yards off the coast, six to eight hours a day. And there I surfed in my flight mode. Fight socially, flight. In my personal performance stuff, I, f I ran away. In your right hand are the pebbles of your beliefs about yourself growing up. In your left hand are the moves you made to survive those beliefs about yourself. What are your beliefs that you believed about yourself? And what are the ways you dealt with it to survive? What are the personality moves that you made? We'll call that like gravel in the left hand. So dropping into the pond, multiple pebbles that land in that water, it creates complicated circles. In physics, it's called interference patterns. Mm -hmm. And that, those complicated wave patterns attract magnetically complicated interactions with people. And of course, we don't want anyone to know deep down our belief about ourselves since we're children. And so what we do is we take the handful of gravel our personality moves to protect ourselves. And we just shoot the gravel onto the pond to somehow erase the whole surface that everyone should know me a certain way.
And so I lived the rest of my life inside that survival strategy of the personality I create to survive. And so I spend my life with this hand like this and this hand like that, which looks a lot like that. Or maybe it's more like that. This is it. Right hand's here. Left hand. And then I get married. And then I, I become a member of community. a neighbor. And that is called, in the world of healing, that's called holding. It's when you're holding. You know, when we learn in yoga, we learn very, you know, difficult positions to put our bodies in. And what will happen to the novice is their face will contort. And the yoga instructor will say, you won't be needing your face for this. This isn't a face position. But we're holding our face. We're holding. It affects our bodies, our weight. It affects our facial muscles. We are all built out of this. I just graduated 28 women from my seminar last night, The Possible You. And there was one woman who was literally 20 years younger at the end of the seminar, literally 20 years younger. It was amazing. And so what happened at the end is someone said to her in front of everyone at the later celebration, someone said, you look 20 years younger. And you know what she said? She says, everywhere I go, everyone's telling me that I'm 20 years younger. Because when we're holding, it affects us deeply. But underneath it all, is that beautiful child. Underneath it all is the beautiful child. And thank God she's there. She never went away. Ladies, whether you ever wind up doing the Possible Use Seminar or any other seminar, the main thing is get yourselves into seminars. Welcome, ladies. There's some nice seats up here. I prefer you closer in the front, if you don't mind. Can you two take these two seats, please? They just want people in front, if possible. You're just in time for a beautiful song. Okay, you can totally ignore me. I think what happens is people can't, like, just walk in the front. Please, because everyone's skipping your row because you're sitting there. Do you mind moving in? Like, come all the way. Yeah, ladies, in the future, uh, an amazing secret about life is never sit on the edge. I'll, I'll, I'll teach classes and literally watch everyone skip like a bunch of rows. And so I'm speaking to like this kind of frame and then the people. It's just a psychological thing when you're going to sit. You're just... 
just looking for a quick way to a seat. So what I was saying was, ladies, welcome. What I was saying was that get yourselves in a seminar. You're driving your car for decades. And you, don't, can't, you can't even drive a car more than a year safely without taking it into the shop. Just to get everything checked. Because that car is going to be going 70 miles per hour on highways. With your whole family in it. You know what I mean? You got to check it in. And you should know if any seminar is less than three days. It's not really going to make a big difference. All the agencies throughout the world that deal with security, like the Mossad or the CIA, they don't really push their prisoner too much the first two days. There's no point, because on the third day it all comes out. Seminars have to be three days. Even here at Aish, we had a discovery seminar that eventually got whittled down to three days. But those people who came on those three days, it changed their lives forever. But eventually it emptied because no one had time. No one had three days to discover whether Judaism was real or not. And then suddenly the impact of the seminar, though it's an amazing blow away, even today I still teach it almost you know, a couple times a week. On the one day, now it's down to one day. So now it's five hours, four hours, four hours. It's half a day. But the impact's totally different now. Feel free to close your eyes for this song. Please close your right hand. Close your eyes and close your right hand. Make a fist with your right hand. And put inside your fist pebbles of any limiting belief you've ever had about yourself. Not good enough, not as good as, not capable, not lovable, not worthy, unacceptable, ugly, dumb, small, weak, lost, failure, unsafe, every belief you've ever had about yourself is inside your right fist, now close your left hand, and put inside your left hand gravel, and every miniature pebble in there. Is how you dealt with what's in your right hand. So starting socially, were you more of a fighter to dominate? Or were you more someone who avoided domination and isolated? Give it a name. 
in your own personal performance? Were you more of a fighter to dominate? Or did you run away, procrastinate, quit, never commit? What was your survival strategy? In dealing with authority, what did you do when you felt small or insignificant or controlled or worthless? What's in your left hand? Was it to be independent? Was it to be a control freak? Or was it flight? Avoiding every possible system that could control you. And now tighten those hands, tighten your fists, and start breathing deeply. Deep breaths in and out. Tighten your forearms. Tighten your upper arms, breathing deeply. Make it real tight into your shoulders, tight. Tighten your face, a raisin face, your body. And now on three, release. One, two, three, release. Take a smaller step. Take a deeper breath. Let your motor cool. Slow down to a crawl as your defenses fall. Feel your soul refuel. Everything you thought, all that you believed about yourself. Tighten your hands, hold it in your hands, and let it go. Release your hands. When you release your hands and you realize that those were just beliefs that if it were a movie all the watchers of your movie would never believe that about you it was just you as a sweet little child who had no other choice but to believe that about you constantly validated by the ensuing days weeks and years but when you release it there's nothing left to fear you're open to receive Setting free the child The beautiful child In you and When that child is free You can do a little dance Sing a simple song And laugh so hard you're crying Chase a butterfly Climb a mountainside Once again you're flying Cause the person of your dreams Is coming into view Nobody can take that dream away Somebody who trusts, somebody who shares, someone like the child, the beautiful child in you. 
that beautiful child in front of you. In your mind's eye, put out your arms, pick her up, put your arms around her. She is the happiest you ever were. And all of those things that became your self-image, whether it was the negative self-image or the survival strategies, have not made you one iota happier. The happiest you ever were was when you were just that neshama, that beautiful child. Someone who lives generating from the neshama needs no self-image. So just hold that child, hold her tight, never let her go. You think about the word self-image, the word image means imagine, or image means a picture, an imaginary self, or a picture of yourself from a difficult time. Self-image is all based on something that is not emis, not true. Because no one watching that movie would believe that about you. And therefore, all that extra energy we've done and put out to survive it is wasted energy. All the output, even if you did good things with that output, is exhausting because it's generating from a place that's not true. But when you open up to the possible you, when you drop all those beliefs, you get back to the state of being that is your toddler. When you generate from there, from the beautiful child, from the soul, you're generating from emis. You're generating from an infinite source of energy. And that creates and opens up all possibility. So that in every situation, whoever God calls you into being, you are. Whisper the words, whoever God calls me into being, I am. Whisper, whoever God calls me into being, You'll be wearing many hats in your life. And all of them become possible when you generate from MS. Again, whisper, whoever God calls me into being, I am. One more time, whisper, whoever God calls me into being, I am. Everything you thought that you believed close your hands hold them in your hands and let it go release everyone you love wants you to achieve they want to meet the child the beautiful child Beautiful child is you. You. 
the numbers one through five. At five, you'll open up your eyes, getting in touch again with her heartbeat, and whisper the words, I'll never let you go. Coming up, one, two, three, four, and five, opening up your eyes. So I've been running the Possible You now for 16 years. There is something that really special happens in the commitment of the group. I've run it all around the world. Every group's become a family wherever I've done it. In Jerusalem, I run it um, infrequently for women, actually, because the level of uh, self-sacrifice that is the culture here that even though I've always found the women get the most out of it and need it the most, to just check their car in for, for the, if, these hours. Um, this, my seminar is six, in Israel, it's six, six nights straight, or six mornings straight, four hours a session straight. And uh, in, when I do it in America, whether I do it in the U.S. or in Toronto or Mexico or wherever I go in Europe, it's, uh, we do it instead, we do it six hours a day for four days. So it's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. or nights one, or at night. And uh, the, um, in Jerusalem, I don't know when the next one will be, but, the, but I do have them in uh, Brooklyn coming up in April and, uh, and Muncie. As well. Yeah, and Muncie as well uh, coming up. <laughs> no. I do one-offs. If the people arrange them, I come. Yeah. And I'd certainly like to be surfing in Australia. So. And now I can actually experience it. You know? People used to always ask me what it was like surfing. You know, I've surfed really exotic places. And they'd ask what it was like, and I'd have to make it up. Because what was really going on was I was avoiding, I was doing flight from being the son of this you know, millionaire, and I was doing fight when I was surfing, doing crazy stuff in the, in the, on the waves that everyone would have what to talk about that night. So it's like I wasn't present. But at 33 years old, when I finally broke through this, by the way, I want to mention that how I broke through it, how I got this in 2002, was because all of those pebbles have a spot in our body. So like, for example, my, my, my belief that I'm just a little kid, like incapable little boy, that I got growing up in that home is in my low back. And the embarrassing moment that happened to me that I'm just, you know, I'm a loser, like I felt like such a loser in the bathroom, is, was in my digestion. And it just so happened when I was 33 years old, 23 years later, 33, that over those years, throughout my 20s into my 30s, that my digestion was becoming intolerant of things. My colon became intolerant. Slowly, like started with lactose, then it was fried, and then it was, then until it was like complex protein, and until uh, after a while I was, <laughs> they were going to remove my colon. And, uh, and miraculously, I was, I was in South Africa, at 750 people waiting in a hall, the chief rabbi there saying, 
are you ready to go on, Rabbi? It's time. And I said, is there a bathroom back here? And he was like, now? And I'm like, now? And it was there that I realized that this was totally linked up, that my digestion had linked itself up to a terrible fear of rejection, that I had created this massive career. I'd, I was touring internationally for Aish, completely ignoring my wife and kids. And you understand, like, when you're in your stuff, like, there, you see nothing else. And, and that was when I finally left the bathroom. When I walked out of that bathroom, it began my healing. Mm-hmm. When I came back to Aish, I was teaching a Pirkei Avos share here. And I had everyone close their books. And I said, you're now in a seminar. We're going to heal our lives. And I had those students go through the very first possible you with Rav Noach Weinberg helping me mm-hmm. daily, helping me develop the possible you. He was like a father to me. He, he did everything for me mm-hmm. and brought me into his family and, and everyone there. And, I, and he helped me develop it. And so I ran it at age for three years for the students. After a while, Aish kind of got saturated with the possible you. There was no one left. Uh, but what happened was the mere yeshiva tutors who used to come and tutor the Aish guys, you know, which the Aish guys thought was a great favor, but in fact the mere guys I think were getting more out of it than the Aish guys, just being with these fresh Bali Chuva in, in the 90s, and sorry, in the 2000s. And they, uh, what happened was they saw their students had grown immensely and really transformed their lives, and it was because of the seminar. And so that's when I moved it to halls and and it became a real, you know, international company and, and with staff all over the world. It's really something. And so you're all invited. Um, all you have to do is send an uh, uh, email to info at the possible you, info at the possible you dot org. But there's also there's videos online um, of all kinds uh, based around it. And so my career has been really awesome because I do Jewish and Jewish. <laughs> at Aisha Torah, I really do Jewish. It's rare I do what I just did here at Aisha in this building. I rarely ever, ever cross over to what we're doing today. Here is about Jewish. And, uh, and I've been teaching Baruch Hashem all around the world about Yiddishkeit. That's my 3 o'clock live class every day on Facebook. You would just go on Rabbi Yom Tov or it's... It's also broadcast daily on tour anytime. That's Jewish. But then you have Jewish. So I'll conclude with the following. Every one of us is born with a hook in our mouth. We're all born with a hook in our mouth. And, and we spend our life in the ocean swimming. And, you know, some people are swimming towards the fishermen. That's God. And some people are swimming away. We all know people swimming away. And you know what? God doesn't skip a heartbeat. Why? Because there's a hook in the mouth. Everyone gets reeled in at the end. And so God, God's okay. I mean, we can't breathe when our teenager's out. But God's okay. Because he's, first of all, he's everywhere. And, you know, he's running the show. And he's got the bigger story. That's why it's called history, capital H. History. So God, God's, God's like... No rise in blood pressure over there. And, and people swim away from the boat. I personally, when I came to Yerushalayim and met Rav Noach my very first day, and Rav Yaakov Weinberg Zatzal taught me every day as well, I was like, I want to be on the boat. Like, put me on the boat already. 
And so, of course, I'm still alive. So I swam around the boat, which is great because the fisherman does, sometimes he shoots off a little anchovy or something, you know. You, know, you, can, you get a lot of good stuff living in the, in the palace here. Jerusalem's the palace of the king. And so when you want to stay around the boat, it's great. And I, I just came. And I've noticed, you know, I've noticed a lot of people chose to stay. And they, it seems there's room for everybody. There's really room for everybody. And even Parnassa for everybody is, as long as the Parnassa of being an Eretz Yisrael is a function of the commitment of the person who came. We learn from the Miraglim, if you come to check it out, it's going to gnash its teeth. But if you come because you're coming, and that's it, no because, I'm coming because I'm coming, there is no why. Meaning not, there is a why, but there's, it's not an if. I'm not coming to see, but I'm coming because it's a function of my ashkafa. I'm here. So then they, the, everything opens up to them. You know, it says actually, this, the Miraglim said it's Eretz Ocheles Yoshevea. It's a land that in, in, devours its inhabitants. It sounds scary, right? Well, it's the opposite. It, it can be seen as beautiful. Why? If you eat an apple, it becomes you. That apple becomes a Jew. If you eat chicken or salmon, that salmon becomes a Jew. So the land itself eats you. You become the land. And so the land perfectly in- integrates you. When you come here and base yourself in the desire to be here, you, it's, it devours you. And you become the land. And it has a remarkable impact on you. And there's parnasa for you. You'll be actually sustained in the land. Now, when we get reeled in, God has two questions. Were you Jewish and were you Jewish? We're part of an ancestral tribe, so he's going to ask us about our tribal membership as Jews. But he's also going to ask if you were Jewish. When you look at the black hatitude world, it would seem like there's only one question, and that's, are you Jew- were you Jewish? I have a joke that uh, the reason our talus has black lines on it, it's, it's barcode. <laughs> so when we, after we daven shachris, you, and when you go through the door, you hear a little beep. <laughs> you would think that the only question is Jewish. I've actually taught this to a whole room of Hasidim. I teach a lot of Hasidim now. And I've taught this to a whole room of Hasidim. Today, they're cool with it. But years ago, when I first started teaching Jewish and Jewish, they, I had people upset with me. How, how dare you say that I have an actual individual purpose here? Teaching Yiddish. <laughs> and he's going to ask us both. Now, here's the scary part, is that two things. One is that the you, that's the you-ish part, has to be really you, that original beautiful child, not some amalgamated stretch for any something because of some belief that wasn't even true. We're talking, when you get pulled into the boat, it's called olama emes. It has to be true things. And so if we want to give a whole story of why we were or did what we did or were the way we were, that's based on something that it did happen, meaning things happened, but the fact that we went on as that being who we were when it was not, 
You can't be what happened. That can't be true. And when you get to the Olam Emes, but here's the real scary part, and I hate to give Musser, but I'm, I'm in a Litvish yeshiva. Oh, well. <laughs> a little Musser. Is that, is that we're taught, with the exception of Chesed, which tzedakah is in there too, but with the exception of Chesed, because it's Olam Chesed Yabane, all the other mitzvahs are only rewarded based on the Kavana. And what was our Kavana? And how much of our Kavana has been really just to survive some stupid belief about ourselves? I wonder myself, my own tshuva, when I met Rav Noach, I wonder myself how much of it was, was because of the truth of Torah or how much of it was, hmm, a whole new community that doesn't yet accept me. You get that? And that's why you can do teshuva on your teshuva. You can do teshuva on your teshuva because my teshuva wasn't 100% pure. I met a world of people that I was not acceptable in my behavior at that point. I, didn't even, I did not know Aleph Bet. I for sure didn't know how to keep Shabbat. I didn't know how to make a bracha on, a, on food. And so, our olama emes is based on the emes, which includes the things we did. Again, with the exception of chesed, chesed Kabbalistically is taught that it doesn't matter why you did it, how you did it. You know, it's not, you know, some guy needs a drink and you're busy going like, he need a much on zoom and lakaya mitzvahs, you know, and the guy dies. <laughs> just give him the drink. Just give him the drink. That chesed, you just do it. But all the other stuff is going to be the currency. Sometimes I go to New York and I try to buy a Starbucks coffee with shekels. I, I pull out 20 shekels. And I'm like, here. And she's like, honey, you're going to need some dollars for, that, for this coffee. And I say, but I want to get a feel. What's it like to walk in with the wrong currency? So consider this a personal invitation to join the possible you. Uh, send, an in, send an email to the info at the possible you. Um, we'll put you on the list of wherever you're from. And, uh, or help create a seminar near you. It will be the greatest thing you ever did. And you should know this woman's when I told you I don't do it a lot here. You know, <laughs> what happened was a woman wanted to do it. And she got it together. She made it happen. And... Uh, and it, it, it was just kind of funny because I ran this entire seminar and it was only when I was acknowledging people. I was like going around the room acknowledging my coaches. You get a personal coach during it. So I was acknowledging coaches. I acknowledged the administrator. I acknowledged everybody. And then all of a sudden I look at this one woman and I said, and of course the woman who got all this together and I acknowledged her. And then it's dawned on me, we're all here because she wanted to do the seminar. And there are 28 women right now whose lives have been transformed because she made a seminar happen. Really amazing. Really awesome. Thank you very much, ladies. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.